0: how huge the claim of Christmas is. You know, it isn't just the warm narrative of shepherds, of angels, of wise men, of a star, of Bethlehem, manger, little baby. Oh, it is that, isn't it? But to leave it at that level would be like, this is particularly for the gents. Uh, you know, you get a, an iPad Air on Christmas Day. How exciting would that be? And, and there you are. You, you unwrap it and you look at that wonderfully designed box that, you know, every Apple product comes in. Oh, wow, look at the box. And you said, thank you, and you left it there. It, it would be, it, it'd be just leaving it and not getting to the real present. And I guess what I'm going to try and get you to do today, this evening, is to have a look, to, to get inside the box, if you like, to see th- th- that real Christmas, the present that is there. We've, we've seen it in your reading. I don't know if you've got and an unwrapped it as you look through the story of Christmas as depicted by John. Do you see it in, in verse 14? It's there. That God has made his dwelling amongst us. Uh, and... The claim of Christmas, you see, is that God is with us. It was there in the first reading. I don't know if you noticed it in Matthew's historical account of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Jesus was given this name, wasn't he? It was Emmanuel, which meant God with us. And that was foretold 500 years before through a prophet. It was prophesied. It came true along with... 44 are prophecies about the life and the death of Jesus Christ. They all came true. But here in John's Gospel, you'll see that there's no Christmas narrative. There's no shepherds. There's no angels. What John does, he kind of paints a rather abstract picture. But it's a masterpiece with one intention. To show the reader, to show you and I that, that Jesus is if you're like God, in a body. He, he's now dwelling amongst us. He has come in his kindness to clearly make himself known to us. It's a massive claim, isn't it? A massive claim. But I guess one of the struggles that all of us face uh, at Christmas is that, is that sentimentality you heard Ed earlier, you know, talking about it, you know, I hate Christmas. It kind of hijacks our hearts a little bit and our minds, doesn't it? And what happens is that the wrapping paper, the box that surrounds the Christmas story, that kind of grabs our hearts. That captivates our minds. And it means that we begin to emotionally respond and positively respond to the trimmings, the box, the wrapping. You get those warm feelings about trees, about lights, about presents, about turkey and all the trimmings. But our hearts are gripped by the sentimentality of Christmas. And we never get to the reality of Christmas. So, you know, we sing carols, don't you? And so, but don't think about the words. Oh, you'll buy a tree and you'll stick a star or an angel at the top. But don't ever mention what those two things brought, pointed to. Oh, you'll buy presents, and, and that's absolutely brilliant and uh, fantastic. I have a wonderful time opening them. But let's not talk about the great presents that were given to the greatest present. Yeah, that hijacking of our hearts kind of pushes us two ways. You, you may become that person that says, I hate Christmas. The sentimentality has just made you sick. You, it's just gone too far for you. But even though you may feel that, and some of you will, when you see your nephew open, or your you know a, a family relation open a present, and you see the joy in their in their face, and you see the excitement as they go, oh, so, oh thank you so much, it melts your heart, doesn't it? Oh, and you wouldn't want to say that. You still want to be the grumpy. I don't. Oh, I don't like Christmas very much. And you're yeah. But the, the Christmas hat, I don't wear those, thank you very you know, You'll put it all aside. But you understand at that moment that there's something more going on here. It's more than just the wrapping paper. But you just can't put your finger on it. Maybe you're the person who says, oh, I love Christmas, and there you are in your Christmas jumpers right now, and you've got tinsel everywhere, and it's all very exciting. And the sentimentality of Christmas has completely hijacked your, your heart and mind. I, I don't know if you've been watching that uh, reality TV show with Ned, the call centre worker. Have you seen that guy on BBC? He's a Welshman. Is it just me that watch terrible television? <laughs> it clearly is. There's this guy, BBC, have you not seen it? Welshman. Oh, good! Someone's with me. I'm speaking with you, just you over there, okay? Well, reality—it's a BBC Three or something like that—and he's a Welsh guy. He runs a call centre in Cardiff. He's a lunatic. He just sings all the time. But there's a Christmas show coming up. I've only seen the previews. He walks in. He's a big business, multi-million pound business. He walks into his kind of his chair, you know, his his big kind of boardroom. And he stops his senior management, they're having a dull meeting. He says, Right, we're going to sing, Art oh, the Herald Angels Sing, and off they go, and they have to stop everything. Can you imagine that in your office? It's interesting, though, though tinsel is absolutely compulsory in that workplace. He says, It's very interesting in one of the clips, he says, don't get all serious, don't push it too far. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't want you to try and understand the meaning behind something or the significance of something. Let's just enjoy the sentimentality. Here it is. Chapter chapter 1, verse 14 of John's Gospel. It says, God has made his dwelling amongst us. The claim of Christmas is that God is with us. And can you just for a moment, I'm not going to be very long here... I'm just asking you for a moment, consider the possibility. Consider that the light and all the joy that at times melts you over this period of of the year is pointed to something bigger, something even more joyful, something even more profound and more significant. So two quick things to break through, if you like, the wrapping paper to get to the real present. Of Christmas, And they're there on your sheets. The claim of Christmas is that Jesus is God with us and secondly, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Let's just very quickly go through that first one. Jesus is God with us. You see, all the peace and the, and the goodwill of Christmas, it's all there but it's secondary. The primary thing of Christmas is, is that God is with us in Jesus. Look how John's Gospel begins. Just cast your eyes back to verse one and you'll see the claim is there right at the beginning. As he says, in the beginning was the word. He's speaking there of the self-revelation of God. He's speaking of Jesus. The word was with God, but here's the big claim. The word was God. See, the Bible tells us all the time that Jesus, the word, is God. It isn't apologetic about that. But more importantly, I guess for some of your ears, it's also not unsubstantiated. The Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, are a catalogue of evidence to point to one fact. Jesus is God. And this is historically verified by numerous Christian sources, but also non-Christian too. So you can read of Jews and Greeks and Roman histories at the time. And they may have hated Jesus, and they did. And yet, all their historical accounts all point to the fact that they couldn't deny the miracles that he was performing. And they all point to one thing Jesus is God. History verifies this. Please don't believe me. Go and look for yourself. The evidence is massive. But also, if you have a look yourselves as you read further on in John's Gospel. Have a look online. There's loads of places you can look. Or take one of these Luke's Gospels home. There's loads of them out there as you leave. Have a read this Christmas. Have a look at the historically verified accounts and see what conclusions people came to as they encountered Jesus. History verifies this. But also, I think Jesus demonstrates this. He does it by, by doing a number of things only God could do. He forgives sins. He controls nature. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. And there were lots of eyewitnesses. Look at the evidence. Don't believe me. Go and find out. Jesus also acts like God as well. It's extraordinary that he, as people come to him, he accepts the worship of others. That is, he considers himself worthy of that worship. It's interesting, when when people met angels in the Bible, what did they do? Immediately went, boom, hit the deck. Here's an angel, it's scary. And what did the angels do every single time? They said, stop it, get up. Why? They always said, we're just creatures, just like you, of a creator. We're not worthy of your worship, but when Jesus... People encounter Jesus, what happens? They get down, they say, my Lord, my God. Because they could see in him that he was just that. He accepted people's worship, and people also decided that they wanted to follow him and worship him. But why would anyone do that? Why would anyone worship this baby born here that grew up in... an old place a few thousand miles away. Why would anyone do that strange? And it's especially strange because the first people that came to follow Jesus to worship him, who were they? They were Jews. And that kind of has got to blow your mind if you understand the context of that. Because Jews believed that God was this scary, massive, transcendent, creator, unapproachable God. But in their thousands, Jews came to worship Jesus. Why? Because they saw he's more than just a great prophet, though he was. He's more than a great teacher, though he was. He's more than a miracle work even, though he was. All of those things point to one thing. No, he is God dwelling with us. Very few people have ever claimed to be God. But when they do, have you ever noticed, if you, as you look through history, cult leaders, religious leaders, and so on, when they claim some divinity, have you ever noticed anything about them? They're always incredibly aloof, detached from people, so distant from others. But you've got to ask, what were they hiding? See, religious leaders of the past, cult leaders of the present— You can gather followers, you can be a persuasive teacher, you can say, come with us, follow my teaching. But it's very hard, isn't it, to fool people that are incredibly close to you. Jesus, though, you see, his 12 closest friends, they said, no, I'm with you. His family also said, I'm with you, I'm going to worship you. You are who you claim to be. Let me put that into kind of modern terms if I can. It's like they've seen him in the morning before his first shot of caffeine. They've seen him after a terrible week at work when you've put in 80 hours and your boss has still not given you any thanks whatsoever. They've seen him even when the train gets stuck just outside Vauxhall for an hour on a hot, sticky day. (laughs) They've seen him, if you like, all the time. In the best times of the day, in the worst times of the day. In the best times of the year, in the worst times of the year. But they still see his moral purity. And they come to one conclusion. This bloke is God in a human body. Jesus wasn't just a good man. Thousands upon thousands of eyewitnesses were willing to die for one conviction alone. That Jesus was God. They died under the the rule of Emperor Nero and many other Roman emperors at the time. They just said, Jesus is God. And I'm not going to say no to that. So they were thrown to lions. They were burnt at the stake. You know the story. This also explains, I don't know if you know any Christians. Some of you may, some of you may not. It also explains why Christians are really annoying people. Bear with me on this one, but you'll, you'll get the idea. It's because they claim that Jesus is God, and they claim that exclusively, don't they? The claim of the Christian faith is so politically incorrect, because it demands you only worship God through Jesus Christ. It's a, an exclusive claim. But the claim of Christmas is a huge claim, isn't it? See, in every other world religion, living, getting to a certain kind of, you've got to work your way up to a certain level, haven't you? And then you'll kind of let God do the rest or let a higher being do the rest. And you'll be taught to kind of follow a path and get to this level, but God will make up the rest. Do you know what the claim of Christmas is? Oh, you'll never be good enough. Never. And so what happens? What happens? God in his infinite kindness and love says, I'll come to you. I'll come down to you because I love you that much. I I know you don't deserve it, but Jesus says, I'll come down in human flesh and I'll live a life that you can never live, a perfect life. And when I die on a cross, I can have that life counted as yours if you're willing to put your trust in me. I guess some of you will be sat here, you'll be thinking, I'm horrified by what the man has just said. I'm utterly offended by that. Let me give you this example. I went to the doctor on Friday. Okay, I've been struggling to breathe. I've been coughing my guts up for the last uh, few days. And imagine I went to a few doctors and they said, hey, Andy, just take a bit of a rest. Get your Ventolin out, which I've got in my pocket here. So if I turn around, I'll be doing that. You know, and, and, you know, just take it easy for a bit, OK? Don't speak so much. That was what one doctor said to me on Friday. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> imagine I went to a few doctors. They all said that, yeah? But then imagine I went to one particular doctor. He did some tests. He said, no, Andy, you, you've, got a, you've got a really serious condition in your lungs, And if you don't take these pills, you're going to die. And soon. Can you imagine what I might say to that doctor? Would I turn to him and say, you are the most arrogant, narrow-minded doctor I have ever heard. That diagnosis is too exclusive. What a claim. You see, every religion in the world says this, take your inhaler. Oh, don't say so much. Take it easy, Andy. Your moral goodness, you know, with a bit of help from God, that will be good enough. In the end, you'll get to heaven, whatever you want to consider it, eternity. But the message of Christmas is this. It says, no, that's not good enough. The problem of your life, your rebellion against God, your ignoring of God, that's terminal. You don't just need a teacher to say, live this kind of life and, and it kind of point you in the right direction. To a new way of life. No, you need a son of God to come amongst you. To dwell amongst you. To be God with us. Your situation, your your life of turning your back on God is terminal. You need a saviour. And that is what we have at Christmas. Being born. God in human flesh. Does that sound terrifying that God is with us? Well, it should do because in any way you look in the Bible, any kind of historical kind of framework of, of God in his kind of bigness, meeting God face to face is a terrifying ordeal. In the Bible, he's a pillar of fire. He's a blazing furnace. The glory of God, that is his bigness, is overwhelming. But God in his power and his glory and his kindness. How does he come? He comes as a baby, doesn't he? tiny baby why do you think that is the case Uh, have you ever held a baby I know some of you up there have because you got them right there it's interesting isn't it when my wife and I we've got two boys and when when we had our first boy we were going to a church and I was working in a church in Mayfair at the time and I used to you know all these guys with these suits used to come in on a midweek and I'd be there with my baby and so I'd go here take him off you go why I think guys more than anyone probably need a bit that kind of affection, that intimacy, that closeness. And you hold a baby and you realize they need you and they cling to you, don't they? And what does it do? It breaks down all these barriers that you've put up around yourself, all of these social expectations that, I'm the tough man who works in the city. Ah, I've got a baby and it needs me. And it breaks down all those barriers And Jesus, in that way, he comes as a baby because he he breaks away and takes away all of those barriers between us and all those barriers we put up before God. Jesus just isn't, he just isn't God. He's God with us. verse 14, just to remind us again, the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, his bigness, his infinite power, the glory of the one and only Son who comes from the Father and he's full of grace and truth. So very quickly to finish. Let's just try and understand that last little phrase. He's full of grace and truth. Have you ever noticed who Jesus comes for? I don't know if you spotted it in the, in the, the first reading in Matthew 1. He says, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with... Us. And here in John 1, verse 14, he says, He has made his dwelling amongst everyone. No, us. It's interesting that, isn't it? The writers very specifically use limited terms. They're not de- now describing this kind of exclusive, narrow-minded group. In the Christmas story, who was invited to come to Jesus? Not Everyone. But who came? Think of the Christmas story for a moment. Who comes to see the baby Jesus? It's the most humble. The shepherds are on the field, out in the fields, watching their flocks. They come. The most lowly of society. Oh, who else comes? Wise men, basically, some pretty ostracised, stargazing kind of chaps over from the east. Do they come with sort of say, "Hey Jesus, look what I've got look at, I've got this house, I've got this car. I do this job. Look how impressive I am. Look what I can add to your birth." No. They don't say anything like that. They don't say, "Look at what I've done. They come to worship Him, to worship Him. Instead of them saying, "God, you owe me," they say, "Hey, Jesus, I need you." And John sums this up really well with this lovely little phrase, Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus has everything we need to be with God for eternity and to know his love for eternity. That is, he's full of grace. The word grace is simply an unmerited kindness from God. It's undeserved. You can't, you can't do anything to, to receive this grace. But Jesus has it and he's willing to give it to you if you put your trust in him. He's full of truth, that is, he is full or complete in the truth that he embodies and proclaims. The truth that brings life eternal with God and purpose and meaning and joy today as well. I guess as we close, I just want to ask this question, I guess, why don't you want to unwrap the present? Why do you just stay at the box or the wrapping paper? And what stops you? Is it preconceptions about the Christian faith that have little or no validity? Or you just heard it from your mum? Or you've seen it on TV? Do you fear that if you get any closer to God, then he might expose some fragility? And that is hard in London. Because you have to project yourself as the impenetrable fortress. And are you concerned that as you get closer to God, it may cost you something? Oh, I know that's a concern for some. Before you consider that, why don't you consider how much it cost him? That is, he he was willing to come from heaven to be born as a baby. And to live a life and then to die. And die on a cross. Now, why? Uh, to, to essentially take the justice that all my turning my back on God deserves. Let me finish with this. John Wesley, um, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, who instigated the building of this, uh, a church on this site many years ago, he died with these words. Let me finish with this. He said, the best of all is God with us. The best of all is God with us. And then he died. Oh, my question is, how are you going to respond? God has made his dwelling amongst us. He's full of grace and truth. If you don't believe me, look at the evidence. Give yourself a chance to look at it properly. How are you going to respond, therefore, to this Present of, of who Jesus really is. I guess many of you are saying, "I'm not that bothered. I can't wait till I get out of this place." That'll be, you know, and so on. You're not terrified of Jesus, as terrified of God in a body. No, you don't hate Jesus. You don't have that kind of animosity towards anyone, and also you don't want to trust Jesus and follow him and worship him, even though he offers grace—that is, forgiveness—for all the times you turn your back on God. Oh. <laughs> That, if you think of all those responses, they're the only rational ones. <laughs> uh, maybe your response is not those. And maybe your response is just totally lukewarm. And may I very gently say that is the most irrational response you can ever have to Jesus. No one ever came to Jesus and walked away and said, What a lovely guy. Let me put him aside for, until next Christmas. Let's wait another 52 weeks to get him out again. No one ever did that. And Jesus never allowed anyone to do that either. God, Jesus is God with us and he offers us grace through the truth that he proclaims. My friends, how are you going to respond this Christmas? And that is either a very offensive message that I've said, a very scary message, or is it a message that is true and requires a rational, thoughtful, but dependent response. So, how are you going to respond? Are you going to dare to get beyond the wrapping paper? Are you going to actually open the box this Christmas? Let me pray as we close, <coughs> Heavenly Father. We do-